Disclaimer. The content in these podcasts are not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something you have learned from these podcasts. Thank you, everybody, for joining us today. This is Marcia Stonehill with Melty Ice. Today, I'm talking with Christina Beal, who is the author of her book, Dying to Live, A Survivor's Story. Hello. And she also has with her today her sister, Kathy Parker, who walked with Christina through this journey. Hello. So, um, Christina, I have talked to you previously and heard your story. Yes, ma'am. And uh, as we were discussing a little bit earlier, there's just a brightness that <laughs> you exude that's amazing, that's even more so than the first time I met you about a year ago. Thank you. Um, and I have had the pleasure of being able to read your book, and even though your book is filled with hardship and struggles and how you overcame those struggles, it was truly amazing to read yes it is so please uh please tell us your journey why you wrote this book just please share today what it is you the message that you want to put out there since i met you you've been very passionate about i want to share this yes ma'am um the reason being i wrote that book is because there are so many stories in that book that i've overcame that I thought I would never make it to see the next day. Um, it's all about being positive. It's all about having a positive mind frame. Um, you have to be mentally strong when you're dealing with you know situations like that because it's all in what you make of it. You can even let the situation take control of you or you take control of the situation. So me personally, I've always had this model with me ever since I've been diagnosed with lupus in 2004. So I've learned to educate myself on it and take control of the situation with the lupus. There's been some mishaps along the way, but this is the reason for the book, is to get people to understand that it's not the end of the world. I mean, you can still live a normal life and take care of the situation and be just fine. But you know, I've always been taught to be aggressive at a situation, you know? So even with me going through daily episodes of being told, no, you're not going to be able to do this, you're not going to be able to do that, I still made a way. And that is significant. So you're telling us that there was a lot of people, it sounds like, that were telling you everything you would not be able to do. Oh, absolutely. How did you not cave in to that? I mean, yeah, because I knew my strength. And I knew that I believe in a higher power. So regardless of what you say, it matters, but it didn't matter. Because I was going to fight this battle till the end. And I can recall a situation where um, I was on dialysis. And they wanted me to eat certain stuff. And I just kept saying, no, I'm not going to eat this stuff. Because I'm going to get through this. So I did. I ate what I wanted to eat and my numbers were great. 
<laughs> so the funny thing was, you know, she she came and told me, and she said, I don't know what you're doing, but just keep doing it. It's all about the mind. And, I mean, you can overcome any situation as long as you take aggressive to it, you're positive, and know that you're going to come out strong with it. And that's what I always done. I, of course, I prayed, you know, I stayed prayed up, but taking control of the situation, that that's one of the things that you have to do because it's it's draining to have someone come tell you, well, you're not going to be able to do this or you're, you're not going to be able to do that. It's draining. And discouraging. And discouraging, oh, yeah. Yes. So it takes a lot out of you. So my mental was, okay, this is what you say. That's not what I'm going to do. I'm going to fight this. Mm -hmm. And surprisingly, like, <laughs> a lot of my doctors are really stunned. Yeah. I'm a fighter. So it was doctors that were telling you the things you were not going to be able to do? Absolutely. And um, so, now how, do you mind sharing how old you were when you were diagnosed with the lupus? Sure, I was 24. 24. Yes, So very young. Yes, ma'am. And... At that age, it would be easy for easier for people to have just take what somebody says and believe that that's just the way it's going to be. That's where my mental was. <laughs> so, how did you gain that strength? Where did that come from? Well, when I got diagnosed with it, um, of course, I was a little nervous because I really didn't know much about it. So, I went off of what you know, other people were saying about it and how I needed to do this and do that. So when I started going to the doctor and pretty much, you know, he was the one that said, well, you have to be aggressive with this. You needed to do that. I've always been the type of person to say, okay, well, let me, let me do this on my own and see how I can do it. You know, I've always been one to say, okay, this is not the end of the world. I'm still going to be able to do what I need to do and take care of this situation at the same time. So my strength came actually from my kids and myself. You know, I knew I had to be here for them. I knew I had to be an advocate for them. So that was why I pushed so hard. And that's why I, you know, stay positive and I did what I needed to do. And my strength, they saw the strength in me. Okay. And the strength passed to them. So there were a lot of times where they, you know, seen stuff as a little kid that's traumatizing. But in the end, it made them stronger. Okay. So they're more aware of, you know, the situation with me and the lupus. So my strength did come from my, my children. I had to be stronger. So now you're saying that there was trauma, and you go into this in your book too. So not only were you dealing with lupus, but you also were dealing with other very difficult situations. Yes. Do you care to go into that at all today? Sure. Um, Dealing with domestic violence, you know, being diagnosed with the lupus is already draining on me, but dealing with a abusive relationship put a lot of toll on my body. Um, having to deal with trying to get my children to understand the aspects of why I'm going through what I'm going through, along with someone who's running your self-esteem down. Um, who's careless, doesn't consider your feelings, even though your features are, are different. 
because now you're on a bunch of a medication and they're seeing the outside person of you and not realizing who you still are on the inside. So a lot of that physically, mentally, and verbally took a toll on my body. So my first flare up with it, I decided then that I had to just leave that situation alone, concentrate on myself and my children. Um, Well, it still turned pretty rough. dealing with the verbal abuse again you know just it's just draining yeah and I, I needed an escape I lived in fear you know dealing with my kids father like okay. it was it was nights where I actually got up two or three o'clock in the morning and I grabbed my children and I went for safety there were nights where he would come in and he had a confrontation with somebody else and he took it on me but every scar or every bruise that I took from him only made me stronger for the person that I am today. How do you mean? Can you describe that? Yes. Um, every every <laughs> um, hit, scar, name calling, anything that you can think of that he has done to me made me be a better person and a stronger person today. It's like he um, thought he could tear me down. Okay. Um, with the name call. Okay. With being physical. Okay. Um, with even saying derogatory things to my children. Okay. But the only thing he was doing was building a foundation. Okay. For me and my children to okay. become who I am today. Okay. So I thank him on a lot of different levels. Because that was another chapter in my book that I survived. Okay. And I'm able to tell it. All right. So. So you did choose to get out of that I did. situation. I chose to get out. And a lot of people ask me, well, Tina, how do you forgive? I forgive because that's the genuine person that I am. I'm not going to move forward if I'm still stuck on what has transpired in my past. So I have forgiven him and I've moved on from that. And a lot of things has happened <laughs> since, you know, I've been cut off from him. I've had nothing but blessings. And so he's able to see the blossom that has happened with me since 2007. Now, a lot of people, a lot of women, uh, and, and men too, honestly, have a difficult time leaving abusive relationships. Yes, ma'am. Was that hard for you? It was. It it wasn't something that I can do overnight. It was something that I had to repeatedly think about. And then towards the end where it started getting really violent, when he tried to kill me or he tried to run me over in the car, that's when I had to take preparations to say, you know, there's no love in this relationship if he's doing this. And I have to look at it for my kids. So I had to escape that so my kids can live a better life. They don't deserve that. They didn't deserve to see all of this. So if I stayed, I wouldn't be here. Right. So I knew the best interest in my heart, whether I love this guy or not, I had to get out. And it took a, it took some time. It took people telling me, you know, constantly saying, you got to get out, you got to get out. But at that time, you're being blinded by what this guy is telling you. So nothing else really didn't matter. But okay. then when I started focusing on my health, 
and my children, I started seeing him for what he really is. I mean, so towards the end of the relationship, he started getting plenty violent. And I knew then, this this time ago. It's and, interesting. Oh, I'm sorry, go no, ahead. No, no, you're fine. I heard you say that your children didn't deserve this. At, right. at what point did you decide that you don't deserve to be treated that way? When he allowed another person to come to me and say all these derogatory things about me and my health. When he allowed this lady to come to my job and just vandalize my car. I knew I was worth more than all this stuff. I've been knew that. I, I'm very smart. I knew this, but again, I was blinded okay. by what he was telling me. And at that time, he was my high school sweetheart. Okay. So everything else around me, I didn't see. But I knew I was worth it because I knew my heart. Okay. I knew the type of person I am. So when he started seeing that I started taking up for myself and I started getting my kids out, he didn't want that. He didn't like that. He knew that I was standing up to him mm -hmm. and he didn't like that. So once I started standing up for myself, defending myself and just realizing, Christina, this is not worth it. I love Okay. And if I had to tell anybody, any man, woman, teenage girl, teenage boy, you don't deserve it. You don't deserve to be name called. You don't deserve to be hit on because anybody who loves you will not hit you. You know, the first sign of abuse is verbal abuse. Okay. Get out. Get out. Don't stay for that. Leave. You deserve so much better. I promise you. Yes. <laughs> you know? Yes. Yes. So, yes. so that's where I went wrong. I stayed. And, you know, I shouldn't have stayed as long as I did, but once again, I was just blinded. Everyone else was telling me right, but I didn't want to hear that because I knew by him hitting me, that's his way of showing me he loved me, you know? But um, there were times where I couldn't go to work because I had a black eye, or right. I couldn't go to work because he didn't damage my arm, you know, things like that. But, you know, when you start sitting back and you start thinking about, hey, this guy, he's not worth you doing this to, you know, even though you guys have been together for so long, but the kids don't deserve to see you. They don't. So there was a time when you actually thought that was love. Yes, I did. Okay. I did. Only because at that point he brainwashed me. How do you mean? He told me things that made me feel like, well, maybe he's telling me the truth. Because he would say, well, don't nobody love you but me. Okay. Don't nobody want you but me. Look right. at you. Right. You know, you're out of shape. Right. Who wants you? So when he's embedding this stuff in your head, and you're like, well, maybe he's right. You know, and I had to sit in the mirror sometimes and I'm like, maybe he's right. Maybe nobody wants to look at me. Maybe nobody loves me because I'm on all these medications and I'm gaining all this weight. But I started taking control of my life in 2006. Thank God. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. So, um, there's an organization that I'm looking to start, and that's for women, men, anyone who's dealing with any type of domestic violence. Um, I want to help because I've been there. 
you know, I've been down this road dealing with, you know, different scenarios with this guy saying this and that, and they don't love you if they're hitting you. They don't love you if they're calling you all these type of names. Anyone, everyone deserves better, you know? So I'm looking to help anyone who's going through that, you know, whose self-esteem is so low that you feel like there's nothing else out here for you or you can't be loved again. Right. Don't let no one tell you that, that's a lie. Right. You know, so that's where my focus is now, you know, helping people to get out of abusive relationships, not staying there and think that that's the only person in the world that loves you. That's not true. Right. That's right. It's beautiful and it's so powerful that you're willing to share this because it, it is so much more meaningful, I think, coming from someone who has lived it and experienced oh, absolutely. it absolutely. and has overcome that. Yes, ma'am. So, so you're dealing with this abusive relationship, you have children, you feel like the abusive relationship is part of what took a toll on your body? Yes. Did I hear you say that? Yes, ma'am. And, and how do you mean in that way? It made me weak. Okay. Being um, abused and just hearing constantly on an everyday level of the verbal abuse, it was just draining. Sometimes I just went into a room I put my kids in a separate room. I'll go into a room and I just felt like just giving up. Mm -hmm. You know, I felt like I couldn't get away from him. When I leave, he'll find me. He'll bring me back. But when you try to address a situation to a human like that, he sees nothing but red. Nothing I said matters. Okay. So it was very draining. It right. was sometimes why I wanted to take my own life. Sure. That's scary. Yeah. So, you know, with that being said, I had to fight back. Mm -hmm. At that time, it was just the negative thoughts that was just going through my head. Like, you know, just give up. You don't want to deal with this on a daily basis. But then I had to think about my children. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I fought back regardless of how it hurt. Regardless of how many times he wanted to put his hands on me. I fought back and yes. it felt good. Now, when you say you fought back, do you mean like physically fought back? No. Let's clarify I, that for our listeners. because um, they. There like, were some times, yes, I did. I needed to show him I wasn't scared of him anymore. Okay. I needed to show him that he doesn't have control of my life anymore. I have control of my life. Okay. And when he say go, I say no. Okay. You know, so I needed to show him he doesn't have that willpower over me anymore. And that's what intimidated him. Okay. When I started fighting back. When he wanted me to stay, I left. Okay. When he didn't want me to go and have a girl's night, I did. Okay. So this is intimidating to him. He was losing his power, yes. so to speak. Yes. So it was times I didn't come home. Okay. <laughs> you know, okay. and he was just losing it and it drove him crazy. Okay. You know, so I knew when I got to that point where he couldn't handle it no more, I had control of the situation. Okay. So to make it complete, Yes. I got a restraining order this time. Okay. I barred him away, kept him away from my children. And even with that, it just, mentally, it just set him crazy. Mm -hmm. Because he knew that I was a wonderful person. He knew that I'm a great person. Yeah. So in his mind, he's thinking, okay, I'm losing her. Someone else is going to take this prize from me. Yes. You didn't yeah. deserve this prize. Right. There you know? You and where was this Christina at back in 2002? Right. You know, right. but it felt good that I was taking control of my life again. Yes. Yes. 
So thank you for going into that. And this is in your book also. So you go into more details about the struggle and just the the mental work that you had to do to pull yourself out of that situation. So what else do you want to share with our listeners today as far as overcoming the, the toll that dealing with something like lupus can take on you. And then you had a lot of um, serious medical crises that yes, happened and you literally almost died, yes. right? Yes. Okay. So, well, um, 2011, I was taken on a job that consists of a lot, a lot of hours. So it was like from sun up to sundown. So, in between time of time of me working this job, I was forgetting to take my medication. So Christmas Eve, mm-hmm. 2011, mm-hmm. is when I had my second flare from the lupus. Okay. Um, this time it shut my kidneys all the way down. So there were repeated seizures. Um, I believe I was in a coma. Mm-hmm. Um, I came out the coma, I went back into one. Um, I can't fully remember everything because I was in and out, but this is where my sister comes in and she can, you know, tell you about that situation. But I will say, even in the midst of me waking up Monday and waking up again is Friday, I still had a positive mind. Um, I can recall the doctor coming in and saying, Oh, her kidney is not gonna work anymore. It's done. Or the situation with the hypertension. I can let Kathy tell you about that. Because um she was more aware than I was, because I was just I was on a lot of medication, so I couldn't remember if I was coming or going, but she can tell you about that story. Mm-hmm. You wanna Yes. Um pertaining to Christina, um lupus from 2004 all the way up to 2011. She has had episodes, one in her, she had to go back into the hospital due to lack of self-care, um, taking her medication. That was, I think it was like three times. Okay. But in 2011, it wound up taking her all the way down. Um, 2011, she her kidneys was non-functional. She was in a coma for about three to five days. They were doing um, dialysis on her, and they prepared us. You know, when she got discharged, she needed to do dialysis because her kidneys is it's no longer functioning. Right. So we was um, able to take that information, and we was able to run with it and do what we need to do to make sure that Christina is comfortable and she get the care that she needs. Um, during that time frame, Christina wanted coming home and moving in with me um, and I took care of her as her caregiver. She went, um, <clears throat> she wasn't feeling 100%. For some reason, she wound up having what you call pulmonary embolism. Mm-hmm. which is a blood, um, I think it's blood clot in the lung. Right. Well, because of that episode, um, she wound up back in the hospital a week and a half later. Mm-hmm. Um, they put her in a reduced coma. Um, she stayed in that coma for about two days. 
Meanwhile, I'm talking to the doctors back and forth, and they was telling us um, that cardiologist needs to see her due to the fact that she had what you call a restricted heart. Mm -hmm. Because of the pulmonary endemia had overflowed from the lungs out towards the heart area, mm -hmm. it suppressed it, her heart. So her heart heartbeat was not beating according to what they wanted to do right. as a healthy heart. So um, I was trying to brace myself to break Christina the news that according to the cardiologist, they said she might need a heart transplant. Mm -hmm. So it was it was definitely a trying time for us um, at in 2011. I would say, um, but luckily they did a, a test on her and coming to find out that she did not need a heart transplant. It was due to the overflow of uh, fluid, uh -huh. and um, so we jumped that hurdle and. Um, we wound up saying, okay, Christina, you know, we got some work to do. After being in the hospital day seven, they decided to release her because her blood pressure was skyrocket. They could not get it to come down to a normal rate. They put her on five or six different high blood pressure medicine, mm -hmm. and they wound up discharging her and say, hey, this is, the, this is all we can do. So I look at Christina when we got home and I told Christina, we're going to have to be our own advocate. I said, you know, the doctors pretty much gave up on us. And then I said, we're going to have to tweak our own medications. That's what we did. We, we came up with a method of one high blood pressure working with another. So it was starting to work day by day. Weeks came by. We said, okay, we're going to stop the other three, four medication, we're gonna work with just this two. So we found a formula that worked for her. So meanwhile, she had to follow up with the cardiologist. Um, and when we went in to see that cardiologist, he had told his nurse that he has a critical patient that would be coming in to see him. So when she comes in, please handle her with care because she's very fragile. Right. I tell you, Marsha, it's, it's, it's been wonderful. Christina walked. She was wheelchair out the hospital. Right. Was not able to walk long distance. We actually walked into that doctor's office. And the nurse came in and said, is this the patient? We said, absolutely. This is, yeah, she is the patient. Right. They said, well, Dr. Kassad said, She's going to be a critical patient, and we just need to do our blood pressure check. The nurse checked the blood pressure once. She checked it twice. She said, wait a minute, something is not right. We said, we started laughing because we already know we worked it out. They said, let me go get the doctor. The doctor came in and said, the nurse is kind of baffled. Um, she was expecting a high blood pressure. Right. And I must say, I'm just at shock. What are you guys are doing? And I said, you know, we we worked it out. We we asked God for help. We tweaked the medications and um, it worked for us. And he said, you know what? He said, the doctors that discharge 
your sister said that, here, she's yours. What you gonna do with this case? Oh, wow. Yes, yes. He said, this is a walking miracle right here. Unbelievable. He said, whatever you guys doing, I am not stepping in to do anything. Everything looks so good. So from then on, Christina been on the up and up with no episodes. And I must say- that since 2011 now? Yes. Wow. And the two medications that we used, I'm still currently taking. Okay. <laughs> well, I okay. did not know that. <laughs> well, yeah, but so. no other blood pressure medications. We just, those two, it, it's been wonderful. It's been great. You know, I haven't had an episode. As a matter of fact, um, I went to see my rheumatologist, which is my lupus doctor, and the lupus is suppressed because of the Completely. kidney. Completely. Yes, because of the kidney transplant. So I'm very, very grateful and humble, you know, because I could be not this here. Could, this could be a much different story. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, you as Christina, when you got your kidney. Yeah, I was going to say, so you did get a kidney transplant. I did. And then another thing, so I want we want to hear about that, but then I also want to hear the difference of how you have taken care of yourself from 2011 to now, because there was difficulty in that and inconsistency prior, and then you've completely shifted it, it seems, now, too. So, right. Yeah. Tell us. So, when you go, I don't want to say I took the lupus situation like it wasn't serious. I don't want to say that because I did take it serious, but I guess back in 2004, I, I felt like, you know, this is something that I can get control of quickly. Okay. So, when I had that episode in 2011, that really shaped me up. Okay. So, the yes. difference now is I take it more seriously now than I did prior. So okay. I take my medication, I do drink water now, um, I try to avoid fried foods. If I do cook anything fried, it's in the air fryer. Um, your appetite, you know, what you eat is important too. So I try to follow, I mean, sometimes I do slip up, but I try to do everything for the most part that I'm supposed to do because I never want to relapse that again, ever. You know how someone say they don't want to go through a situation they've been through before? Yes. That's exactly where I'm at. Okay. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't ever, I wouldn't even wish that on anybody. That was a very, very trying time. It was draining. Nights of staying up, you know, they have to watch me like clockwork. It, it was very, it was a trying time because it was whether or not knowing I was going to wake up and see the next day. Right. So I do take it very seriously. I tell anyone with any situation, whatever situation is, whether it's lupus, whatever, please take care of yourself. Self-care is very important. Well, and I like what you said too about that what we eat matters. Yes, it does. And that can get underestimated in a lot of situations and it is really important. So you're, you're taking care of yourself in all fronts, it sounds like. So you wanted to tell us about your kidney uh, yes. replacement. So I, um, surprisingly, I was only on dialysis for a year and six months. Okay. So I received my kidney transplant in 2013. Since then, the kidney has been working wonderful. 
I haven't had any issues with it. It's going strong. I'm going seven years this year and counting. So I'm just blessed and humbled. Like I could get the opportunity to get a kidney because there, you know, some people who are still waiting on one. So I'm very grateful and humbled to have the kidney. Um, the the dope the deceased person that I got it from, uh -huh. um, it was a male. Um, he only had one year of hypertension, but other than that, it's going strong. Well, very good. I have no complaints. Christina, at any point, did you, you know, I can't imagine not thinking at some point, why does this stuff keep happening to me, or why me, or that, because those are thoughts that people tend to fall into when they have one hardship after another after another, and can you tell us? Yes, it was all the time. Like, why, why did this happen to me? Why did that happen to me? I even went to Kathy one day, and I'm like, Kathy, I'm so tired, why me? But I've learned not to question what God has in store for me. So what I put into place is that I had these scenarios, these different situations, and I've outcame them to tell someone else the blessings of what I've received. So I've learned not to question nothing that I'm going through because there's a blessing behind it, you know. So there was a, a lot of nights I'm like, I can't take and I mean, you will have those thoughts, but again, it's all on you, you know, how you handle the situation. So I don't question anything that, I mean, I might have, um, you know, I might go to the doctor and they may say, oh, well, you know, you're doing great, but you know, I just want to let you know, they try to put a limit on my kidney. I'm saying I don't have a limit. Okay. <laughs> you know, it's all about care. Okay. Again, self-care. Okay. It's all about how you, you know, take care of yourself. So. As long as I'm taking care of myself and I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing, I'm not putting a limit on this kidney. Okay. This kidney is going to take me further than expected. So, very good. Very good. So, I, I think what I'm hearing you say then is, of course, you had a lot of thoughts and you were tired, but you you didn't give in to that. Yes. You, you fought that. I did. And you had a support system, too, that fed you positive thoughts and encouraged you. Yes. Especially Kathy here, but your family. Yes, yes. And and that is another important tool. Because I have um, encountered some people who really doesn't have a support system. So I try to be a support for them, if that makes sense. Absolutely. You know, because if you have someone who's going to be encouraging to you when you're going through something, that means a lot. But under the same breath as I said to this young lady here, here's my number. Let me call me if you need someone to talk to. Because I feel like people who really doesn't have a support system like that, they're so quickly to give up. Right. You know, right. And, and that matters. So that's why I gave her my number. You know, and I told her, you know, just call me when you're feeling down. Okay. Well, whenever you feel like you just need to talk. I really want to be that person to help uplift people. You know, so I'm Again, I'm humble, I'm grateful for the support system I had, you know, but that is an important tool when you're going through stuff. Yes. You, know, you need the encouragement, the push. Yes. You need the drive. Yes. Because with lupus, sometimes it makes you very fatigued. It makes you weak. It makes you want to not do anything. Right. But you got to push. I don't care what uh, illness you have, you have to push. You got to push it, you know, because if you don't fight, it'll, it'll take over your life.
And it sounds like you're saying when you say fight, it sounds like it's a it's a mental mindset. Yes. It's yes. a it's a spiritual drive. Yes. Yes. Um, sometimes I've had encounters where I would say I'm not exercising today. I'm not doing this today. But then I make myself do it. Right. Because I know this is what I need to do to get better. So if long as you are mentally focused and positive and you stay prayed up and you know and don't let the negative get you I mean sometimes you're going to have those days where you go off track but that's where your support come in and push you back in right you know so yeah it's very spiritual for me you know it's a lot of times I sit down and I've talked to the higher power I've talked to God I said I know I'm not the strongest person in the world I fall short sometimes but guide me through this, you know, and I've had the guidance. I've had times where I've sat here and I've, they have stuck me 20 times and I'm just tired, like, and I knew it needed to be done, you know. So, regarding, I look at it like, regardless of what you need to do to get through it, you just do it. Christina, how did you feel like you heard the guidance? You know, sometimes when people are going through things, like you're talking about, I mean, this is intense stuff, you know. They feel maybe abandoned by their understanding of, of a God, or they feel like God's not listening, or those sort of things. I mean, how did you hear? <laughs> um, I've, I've had confirmations daily, believe it or not. So um, there were signs, yes. you say, of things that would happen that would give you a boost? Yes, it gave me chills in my body. Um, there's a, a situation in my book that everything was just going wrong one day. My catheter stopped working. The doctor was coming in telling me things I didn't want to hear. I had to get another catheter put in. They wouldn't do my dialysis. It was just all out of whack that day. And I called her and I said, today can't get no worse. You know, I don't know what to do. So, in order for me to get dialysis that day, I had to get my catheter in. So the IV that I had was kind of old, so they had to put a new one in. So, you know, I'm fussing about that. I'm like, you guys are just really sticking me, you know? So she said, when we I do apologize. And I said, okay. So they gave me a fresh IV, and the clot that she was talking about was still on my lung. Okay. So they had to take a CT CAT scan of that. They had to do one with contrast and one without. So of course, you know, on dialysis, they go by your numbers. So if your numbers are okay, they will go ahead and use the contrast. But if they're not okay, they won't use it. So I was kind of fussing about that, you know, I'm like, hey, I don't want the contrast. Let's just do it without. So she says, well, we have to do it with the contrast. Yeah, that's the dye. That is the dye that they have to answer? Yes. So I called her and I'm like, well, you know, they want to do this contrast thing. And so she says, you know, go ahead and let them do it. So we go down to radiology and I'm laying on this bed. And she says, well, we'll take a picture first, one without the contrast. So I'm like, okay. So she takes that picture. Now, this is what the IV is for, for the contrast. So. They took the first picture. She comes back and she said, okay, Miss Bill, now you have to, we're gonna insert the red dye in your IV. I saw her insert that dye. 
and locked that IV. Okay. So she told me, lay my hands back and my feet straight out. Within two seconds of her going back there to try to snap a picture, that guy was coming out of my arm. Out of the IV? Yes. Wow. It kind of went everywhere in her hair, on her face. I mean, the dye just just shot out of her. It shot out of the IV. And I'm like, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. And she was like, hold still. I said, but the dye is all over my back and hair. And she was like, what? Right? Because that doesn't <laughs> yeah. even make sense, right? It yes. wasn't, yeah. And so, so Christina had called me. She was upset. She was crying. She said, Kathy, you would not believe what happened. I was like, what? What happened, Christina? She said, you know, I've been stuck 20 times. I'm tired of getting this IVs put in me. They wanted to do this test with the contrast. And they went to put the dye in me. Kathy, the dye went everywhere. It went in my hair. It went on my face, my back. I said, what? So by this time, she was steady crying. I said, Christina, calm down. <laughs> I said, Christina, calm down. She said, yeah, but Kathy, you don't. I said, calm down. It's going to be fine. And I said, Christina. I said, God said you didn't need that get that dye. It wasn't meant for you to have that dye. I said, let it, let it go. It's going to be fine. But coming to find out from her kidney doctor, she was not allowed to have die. It would have done damage to her kidney. And may I add, <laughs> she took these pictures and the clap was gone of a clear picture. Just miraculously gone. And I just said, I had to take a breath. And she said, but this is not right. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, but this really isn't right. So they had the actual supervisor come in and look at it. He said, "Wow, this is right. <laughs> this wow. is right." So they had to do another X-ray of Cascade to be certain, and it was gone. So I always like to tell Christina that was God's way of blowing it away. Right. Right. Even the right the blood clot right. blew it away. Right. So it's okay. Wow. So I had to calm her down and say, Christina, yeah, it's okay. It's okay. It wasn't meant to be. That's what I told her, but I didn't find out until after she said, Kathy, the blood clot is gone. I said, wow. wow. So for me, Very to talk to someone who um, is not real hopeful yes. for God, this is where my story comes in, you know, and I tell them, you know, I'm here because of him. I'm here because he has gotten me out of these situations. I'm here to tell you what he can do for you, you know, and I just, I just really want to, you know, just to tell people like, if you don't believe in a higher power, if you don't believe in God, do a prayer challenge. I always tell people that do a prayer challenge every day for a day. And whatever you pray for, see if it comes to it. And I've had several people say that do not believe. 
say, maybe this prayer thing works. Because <laughs> I've had things come to me I pray for. Okay. You know, prayer is really real. It is real. And there, yeah. I've prayed my way out of certain situations in those books in that book. And what I'm hearing, though, is that you, you listened, you were fatigued, yes. but you didn't give up, yes. and you saw situations, instead of just automatically assuming it was a disaster, like the, Absolutely. You, you saw it as, well, maybe this is a blessing One, in yes. disguise yes. sort of thing, yes. which it was. and. You know, there's just so much more to it and so much that we can't even begin to explain when when miracles happen. Yes. And we can't explain why they happen when they do and yes. why they don't happen in some situations. But yes. I guess there's even some sort of rhyme and reason to that, I suppose, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Christina and or Kathy, is there anything else that you would like to share with our listeners? I would just like to share to anyone, you know, again, who's dealing with any type of issue, um, don't give up. Stay positive, stay focused. You know, you'll get through this. I mean, take one day at a time. I always say breathe, relax, take it day by day, you know, keep focusing, you know, do something to kind of get your mind away from the situation. Um, stay prayed up. If you can, if you believe, um, and just like I said, take it one day at a time. But don't let whatever situation that you're dealing with take control of you. You take control of the situation. I think that's probably the most powerful thing that you can say yes. right now. And I, I just want to add to what Christina said. It's very important to have a support system that somebody's going to help you from day to day whenever you get into that sunken place that you have someone to go to a go-to person to help you to pick you back up because there are going to be times that you feel as though that you cannot go on okay but you're going to have to connect with someone who's actually going to be able to carry you because a lot of times you ain't going to be able to want to walk right. you're not going to be able to want to move so you're going to need someone to carry you and push you along the way. So um, so I, I'm, I'm just so thankful um, that my sister is here, that um, we made it through. Yeah. And um, not to say that there aren't going to be any more challenges, um, but just know that um, you can overcome it. Absolutely. Whatever you're dealing with. Absolutely. And this is living proof right here. And there are support groups out. You know, um, if there's anyone who's dealing with a situation on their own, there's support groups out there. I have to, you know, Google some stuff myself. But like my sister said, you can't overcome any situation mm -hmm. as long as you fight. Mm -hmm. When you fight, that that's your key there. Okay. You have to fight. Okay. It's so easy to just give up yeah. and when you give up it's like everything you're living for is just that you can't do that say that again you said when you give up everything you're living for shuts, shuts down. down yeah that's very powerful so when you're giving up it's like you're giving up on yourself mm -hmm. you're giving up on your family you're giving up on your dreams that's ahead for you mm -hmm. you're shutting everything down that you're practically living for mm -hmm. don't shut down fight even if 
even if you feel like it's going to take you a long time, fight. I promise you. I think that's a big key too. Yes, this, fight. This was a battle for you for several years. It, yes. it wasn't a overnight, one week, even one month battle. It was several years of continuing to prove. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I want to say, too, it was not just one battle. Right. It was multiple battles. So, you know, you you hear people going through one storm after another storm. Just imagine going through three or four different storms at one time. Right. Um, Right. So it, it, it can always get you down. Of course. And you always can be in that sucking place. But... Like I have always told Christina, you go ahead and get there. You stay there for a moment, and just a moment only, and you get yourself out of it. You sh- you fight your way out of it, because it's going to be times that you know you're going to be in that that place sure. of hopelessness. But you're going to have to say you're going to have to almost trick the mind and say. I can do this. Yes. I'm an overcomer. Yes. You know, I can get out whatever I'm dealing with. Yes. And even though I'm in a dark place right now, there's something that's waiting for me on the other side. There you go. So it was like, you know, one thing after another. I would have five seizures in a row. Then it was a stroke. Then after the stroke, I was back into a coma. So, you know, for me to go through all this and still be have the right mind frame you know it's a blessing so that's why i encourage people to fight yes it's very important stay positive if you can stay positive through a situation for a short period of time you can stay positive through a situation for a long period of time there you go so christina um we can uh, tell our listeners to, they can find your book on Amazon. Yes, right? ma'am. So, Dying to Live, a Survivor's Story. Yes, ma'am. Thank you so much oh, for being welcome. with us today. And you're welcome. I have a feeling we'll talk again because I'm sure that you're going to have more to share not too far down the road. Yes, ma'am. So, thank you so much, you're Christina welcome. and Kathy. Thank you.